Hey everybody, welcome to the Primitive Podcast. In this week's episode, I had the privilege of interviewing Kirby Holcutt, the athletic director for Texas Tech. I've had a couple of occasions to, to talk to Kirby, and every time I've ever talked to him, I'm just super impressed. And anyone who's been following Tech Athletics for you know not quite 10 years now knows how fortunate Tech is to have him and how much success that Texas Tech has seen under his leadership. With the exception of a few programs, which one could argue are even now you know, making some major progress, um, Tech Athletics has seen unprecedented success under uh, Kirby's leadership, and so it was, it was fun getting to listen to him talk about leadership. One thing that I've always admired about him from a distance is just his humility. Even when he was on uh, the college football selection committee, or whether it's big runs like last year's NCAA tournament with the basketball team, or Omaha appearances by the baseball team. Anytime you listen to him talk uh, or you watch interviews, it's really just marked by a sense of humility and level-headedness, and I think he's a perfect fit for Texas Tech, and it was fun getting to talk to him all things leadership and, and to learn from him. So hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. First of all, um, again, I know you're super busy and really appreciate you being here. I've been a huge fan for a long time. Uh, we had you at one of our young professional events, and that was super fun. Um, but I think that when you look at your leadership at Texas Tech, it's a great example of that when you bring in a really effective leader, you know, dramatic things happen. And if you look, I mean, you haven't been here quite 10 years, but if you look at nearly every program under your leadership, I mean, it just it, it, it's blatantly obvious that everything has improved dramatically, and not just for the major sports, which I, I think are important, but when you look at the impact your leadership has made across the entire organization, it's really fascinating to me. So I'm thrilled to have you on our podcast and really grateful that, that you, would, uh, you would meet with us. So uh, for the listeners that don't know a lot about you, I'd love to learn a little bit about your background, where you grew up and where you're from, um, and just a little bit of your journey going from, from that, the beginning of your journey to where you're at today. Well, I appreciate you having me on, Kate, and was looking forward to uh, this opportunity. So appreciate your your kind words yeah. and introduction, and uh, it's a, an honor for me to to be on. Let I guess start with uh, what's most important. I'm a native Texan. Cool. Was uh, born and and raised in the great state of Texas. Was born in San Antonio, Texas. My father was in the Air Force, so I was uh, born at Lackland Air Force Base in San yeah. Antonio, and um, you know we moved to Paris, Texas for a couple of years, but then uh, where I would say I grew up was the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, uh, Garland, Texas, and then um, in about the sixth grade, we moved to Sherman, Texas, okay. about a half hour north of Dallas, 45 minutes north of Dallas, so if people ask where I'm from, I, I tend to say Sherman, Texas. Those are my high school memories and the relationships that I uh, still hold very dear, so, um, you know, I, I wanted to play um, Football, you know, sports has always been a, a big part of my life. And starting in in high school, living in the state of Texas, of course, high school football yeah, uh, was absolutely. was important. So, I thought I wanted to uh, play big time college football. Uh, leaving Sherman, Texas, the the challenge was the recruiters were not lined up at the doorstep of a five foot ten average speed linebacker. <laughs> so uh, th there was only one knock on the door. And fortunately for me, that was at Kansas State. And Bill Snyder was in his first 
uh, full recruiting class at Kansas State and, and offered me an opportunity to, to come to be a part of what is now known as the greatest turnaround in college football history. And, you know, I, I didn't know what a blessing in my life uh, that was going to be that opportunity um, until much later. But the, the lessons, the leadership, the experience, and, and most importantly, the friendships that developed over the course of the five years that I was there are, are very uh, important to me and have really shaped uh, where I am today and, and a lot of my behaviors today. That's fascinating. So um, I let's see, about, probably a year ago, I saw this documentary on YouTube about Coach Snyder. And ha- like I did not realize, and of course, I've been a sports fan my whole life, and many of the listeners on our podcast may not know this either, about how bad it was at K-State you know, when he took over. So could you speak into that? Because I think for a lot of people, and I didn't know it until I watched this documentary, it was it was like the basement. And so walk us through like what, what went through your head when you were being recruited by this coach and going to a program that had been so desolate. So talk about that. Yeah, I, you know, I, I vividly remember the, the first contact with Kansas State that I had was by an assistant coach at, at that time. His name was Bob Cope. Unfortunately, Coach Cope has since passed away. But I remember him introducing himself as assistant coach at Kansas State that had interest in, in me as a prospect. And honestly, I didn't know Kansas State was a member of the Big 8 Conference at wow. that time. And, and so when I, I went home in that spring, um, Sports Illustrated had put Kansas State on the cover of their magazine as Futility U, the worst college football program in America. Yikes. And when I took my recruiting visit there, uh, it wasn't far from that. The facilities were were horrendous. The culture uh, within that program was not very positive, and it was a program that had been, you know, at, at the very bottom. But it was easy to see that Coach Snyder had a vision, and he surrounded himself with a great group of men, and uh, it, it was fun. But you're you're exactly right. It was the basement of college football. Uh, at that time, and, and the environment within the program, around the program, and the investment into the program was was equally as as bad. So having experienced that, like, what are a couple of things that jump out to you from from that time? You know, you, you know, you're you're just playing football, so maybe you you view it now differently than you did in the in the moment. But what are some of the things that you think attributed to? I don't know if it's an immediate turnaround, but a dramatic turnaround for sure. Like what? What are some of the things that you observed that you think contributed to that turnaround? Well, I think it it starts at the top, as as most things do with with leadership, and that is Coach Snyder. Um, you know, it was his first head coaching opportunity of his career. He had been at Iowa as a long term offensive coordinator under Hayden Fry, but Coach Snyder had a had a vision. He, he had a vision for what Kansas State could become. And there are no easy fixes. It was a day-to-day commitment of improving each and every day. And, you know, while I didn't understand it at the time, through his vision, through his day-to-day approach and work ethic, uh, there was a pathway ahead of us, a pathway to a better time for Kansas State football and and those were life lessons that's no different than being the athletic director at Texas Tech or any other leadership position you know that that vision that pathway of you know success being built into your daily agenda 
um, you know, there's no quick fixes. It, it's a lot of hard work and a step-by-step process. And, and that's what I saw. That's what I learned during that time at Kansas State. That's awesome. So you, you play football at K-State for four years. And where do you transition after you, after you get out of college? Well, when I, when I was finished out of college, um, you know, I had an opportunity to get my foot in the door from a coaching perspective. Uh, Brent Venables was one of my closest friends during that phase of my life. And Brent's now the defensive coordinator at Clemson. And a good one, we might add. <laughs> yes, I think one of the most talented in the country. And, and Brent was two years older than me. So uh, when Brent left, I replaced him as the middle linebacker for two years. He, he became the graduate assistant coach on the defensive side of the ball. At that time, Coach Snyder elevated him into the linebacking coach position and, and came to me with an opportunity to be the defensive GA. And at that time, I wanted to stay involved in college athletics, but uh, didn't think coaching was for me. And I had a, an opportunity to go to the College Football Association. It doesn't exist any longer, but it was promoting um, all the good things about college football. It's made up of the 67 um, most high-profile schools playing the game of college football at the time. So I served a one-year internship at the College Football Association. Uh, then had a chance to go back to Kansas State working in the athletic department and marketing and promotions. Was there for just about two years and had an opportunity to, to go to the NCAA office, which was at that time located in Kansas City and served uh, for about two and a half years at the NCAA office. And when they made the decision to move their headquarters from Kansas City to Indianapolis, I was um, prepared to move to Indianapolis and uh, but at that same time, Joe Castiglione, who was the previous athletic director at Missouri, had just gotten an Oklahoma job. And I'd met Joe through uh, the College Football Association intern experience, cold called Joe, and uh, he offered me the chance to join him at the University of Oklahoma. So I was the first person he hired at Oklahoma. Little did I know about three weeks after I was hired, that he would hire Bob Stoops to become our head football coach, who was the defensive coordinator at Kansas State when I played. So um, it, it was just a, a unique experience and opportunity there. But spent seven years at the University of Oklahoma before my first athletic director job. Okay, I didn't realize you were at OU for so long. That's that's crazy. Um, it's fascinating. Of course, we don't have time to probably get into it, but the, the, the tree of leadership, right? Like when you think of Coach Snyder and then Venables and Bob Stoops and – in the OU, I mean, it's crazy just how quickly, you know, leaders can spread and, and then that, that, that web of leaders, you know, gets so, so big so quickly. So you leave OU. Um, at what point did you start a family? Where'd you go from OU? All that fun stuff. Yeah, so during my time at the University of Oklahoma, um, I'd gotten engaged uh, to Diane, who's my wife of 20-plus years now. And Diane and I had met while we were in – I was in Kansas City working for the NCAA. She was – um, a CPA. She was working for KPMG at the time, and uh, one of my best friends uh, uh, introduced us, and uh, we got engaged during those years at Oklahoma, and um, at that time had had the chance to um, pursue my first athletic director position. I was 33 years of age at the time and was offered the AD job at Ohio. Uh, I'd never been to the state of Ohio before, uh, but it was a, a great opportunity, and I had known that you know Frank Solich was their head football coach. Their basketball team had been to the NCAA tournament uh, the previous year, and uh, it was a, a great opportunity. But I still remember that first 
contact I had with Ohio, the search firm, Bob O'Dean, who was doing the search, reached out and said, Ohio University, do you have interest? And I mentioned it to Diane, and she said, no way. <laughs> and uh, so, well, maybe we'll just we'll, we'll, we'll explore this and see if I get to second base with it. Long story made short, uh, the, the position was offered and we pursued it. And, and we were in Athens, Ohio, uh, just right over two and a half years. And at that point in time, I got a call and an opportunity to be the athletic director at the University of Miami in Coral Gables, uh, the U, with uh, such a strong tradition and brand within college athletics that uh, we picked up from Athens, Ohio, and moved to to South Beach, mm. to, to Miami, you slight could, difference. You couldn't you couldn't <laughs> find a hundred and eighty degree more uh, separation between Athens, Ohio, and and Miami, Florida, and and we were in Miami for three years, and I tell you what a great brand and program that was. I had the opportunity to work for Donna Shalala, who uh, was just such an influential leader and uh, just so talented, and you know three years into it is when Gerald Myers retired here at Texas Tech and being a native Texan, um, really desiring to, to raise my family in a more of a traditional collegiate environment in college town. This was just too good of an opportunity to, uh, to not pursue. So yeah, and we're glad you, glad you did. Yeah. That's awesome. So, so you've been here just under 10 years, is that right? Yeah. Eight and a half years. Okay. So just under 10 years. That's and it's great. gone very Boy, fast. Time flies, huh? Yeah, it does. That's great. So when you think of your leadership um, within the athletic department, like what comes to mind? Like what's your role? What's your responsibility as the leader of the organization? Yeah, well, I think it, um, you know, I'm going to go right back to my my collegiate experience because I, I do think there are life lessons that we teach every day through, through athletics that uh, complement the lessons that our young people are learning in the classroom that is going to prepare the next generation of, of leaders. And I, I think in, in – my role as a leader every day, I've got to set the vision for Texas Tech athletics. I've got to, you know, set the vision on where we want to be five years down the road and and make sure that's a bold vision, one that is going to elevate our program higher than it's ever been before. And and, and then, you know, what's the pathway? How, how are we going to um, pursue that vision each and every day? And then to empower the, the teammates that I work with uh, each and every day to do their jobs and to raise the profile and to grow Texas Tech athletics higher than it's ever been. And I think it's a pretty simplistic formula for me, Kate. I, I think that it starts with with people. And for us in athletics, I call them my teammates that I work with each and every day. And I'm only going to be as strong as each one of them, just as I was playing college football as the middle linebacker. You know, obviously with my size, I was only going to be as good as the defensive lineman I had in front of me and the support I had behind me in the secondary. And you have 11 people on the field, and, and for a defense to be successful, each individual has to do their job. You can't do somebody else's job. you got to do their job. And I think same thing now with Texas Tech Athletics. It's the teammates that I have around me that are going to continue to raise our brand and raise our, our profile. And I think as – the athletic director, the best thing that I can do is just make sure that we have alignment through our organization with our mission statement and our guiding principles and our, our, our goals and our day-to-day -day objectives that we're working in, in sync with each other and not uh, working against each other in any way. And then, you know, it's just the culture. That's probably the most important thing I do is, is to build that environment and that culture that everybody looks forward to coming and and being a part of, and uh, one that's healthy, it's living, it's breathing, it's ever-changing, 
Um, it's probably it's it's not perfect, but nothing ever is. You just got to have that same day-to-day approach that I learned during my time at Kansas State as a student athlete that I saw with Coach Snyder and his coaches and within our team that you got to strive to get better and improve each and every day. And if you do that, you start stacking days on top of each other, better things are going to come. Yeah, it's really good. You talk about culture, and culture means something different to everybody. How, like, what do you mean by culture, number one? And then two, how do you keep culture in front of you know your coaches and the rest of your staff and the rest of the organization's team so that it's a priority. So one, what is what is culture to you? And then two, how do you keep that in front of everybody consistently so that it really takes root? Yeah, so to, to me and what I tell our organization, our, our culture is what we think about each other, how we communicate with each other, and how we work together. And, um, you know, communication is the simplest thing to do, but also it's the most challenging thing that we do each and every day. And, and I think, you know, it's no different than being in the locker room and our locker room is Texas Tech Athletics. If we have a healthy locker room, we're gonna be successful as an organization. And I've seen it too many times with teams or with coaching staffs or with units when there is um, dissension within that locker room or, or that office space, you're not gonna be successful. So to me, culture is how we think about each other, how we communicate with each other, how we treat each other on a day-to-day basis. And, and that, that becomes our culture. So how do we keep it in front of our, our staff as we talk about it? You know, we, we talk about what we have going on. We get together as an athletics department team each and every month, and we have our head coaches there. We, we invite select student athletes in. We have our whole staff, and, and we talk about, you know, our priorities, our objectives, and everything that we have going on as a department. We're in actually a, a series right now with our athletic department staff meetings where we're focusing on our guiding principles. Mm-hmm. So for us to be a, a healthy organization, it's not – Kirby's mission statement to educate, serve, and grow fearless champions, it's ours. It's all 215 full-time employees that we have. And right now we're taking it uh, a guiding principle each and every month, and and we're we're talking about it. And we're doing it in a way we're using video to do it in the words of our teammates. It's not Kirby talking about this guiding principle and what it means to me. It's my teammates. And, um, you know, if, if we continue to talk about these things, our culture is going to continue to be vibrant and to grow and to uh, build and stack days on top of each other that are so critically important. That's really good. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. So this is a little bit of a transition, but, you know, you hear, you hear you know, leaders talk all the time about failure and learning from failure. And, you know, again, it's kind of like culture, right? It's a fancy thing to say. Um, but I'm curious, like, how you as an individual, so not necessarily the organization, but when you absorb failure, when you experience failure, whether that be of a program, whether that any type of failure whatsoever, how do you personally, you know, uh, view failure and try to learn from it? Like, what's your normal practice around failure? Yeah, you know, I, for some reason that word just is not a, a, a one of my favorite words, failure, I, because I, I do think that um, you try to win each and every day, and in athletics. You know, we keep score of, of every game that we play, and you're not going to win every game. So, so failure or not winning each and every game is, is going to be something that we deal with on a regular basis. But I, I always believe that as long as we give it our best effort, as, as long as I approach each and every day with the right mindset, as long as I – capitalize on today and do the very best I can with whatever may be in front of me and it doesn't work out the way we thought 
and, and it doesn't turn out the way that I want it to turn out. It's a learning opportunity, you know, and I, I guess I would replace learning opportunity with, with failure and, and what can we look back and what could we do different and what could we change. So I think being in athletics and in sports as long as I have, I know you're not going to win each and every competition. You're not going to win each and every day. But as long as you brought your best effort and gave it the best you could, then you can continue to look yourself in the mirror and put one foot in front of the other. Mm. Yeah, that's good. So you you just mentioned 215 some employees within the athletic department, and, and you're their leader. So you know a lot of times leadership can be a bit draining. So how do you personally? How do you develop your own leadership skills? How how do you stay kind of inspired and empowered to to be a good leader? You know, I um, balance is is the best way that I I do that, and I, John Wooden. Uh, has one of my favorite quotes, and at one time, Coach Wooden said, "Balance is is critical for competitive greatness or for greatness." And I, I truly believe that. You know, you can, you've got to have balance in in your life, and you know, I, I I believe that, and I try to make sure I keep that in front of me, so that if if I devote myself 24 hours a day or every waking moment to Texas Tech athletics, you're going to get burned out, and and I'm not going to be as an effective leader is what Texas Tech Athletics and the Red Raider Nation needs me to be. So, you know, you've got to build balance into your life. For me right now, that's my my kids and my family and and then, you know, sleep and exercise. If I don't get, you know, seven hours of sleep on a regular basis, I know I'm going to wear down. If, if I don't get some type of exercise in at least three or four times a week, I know I'm going to feel sluggish. I'm not going to feel as sharp as what Texas Tech Athletics needs me to be and the Red Raider Nation expects me to be. So, um, I, I, it's, it's a, it's a balance for me. And, and, uh, is that balance easy? Not always, but I try to keep that in front of me. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's, I'm trying to imagine what that would look like, right? Because, you know, sports fans never turn it off, right? There's, it, it, there's always a new season. There's always a new, a new team. Uh, there's coaching transitions. I mean, I, I can't imagine in collegiate sports, there's a lot uh, of downtime. And so what does that look like for you? Do you like literally just have to like shut your phone off? Um, like just like literally disappear. I mean, you know, I, I would imagine you can't go anywhere in Lubbock and not not be grabbed by by someone who who may or may not have strong opinions. So, what does well, that look like for you? Well, when when they quit giving you their opinions, then that's that's <laughs> that's, that's when problem. you start to worry. Yeah, but you know, for me, it's it, it, it's again balance. We're we're in the midst of uh, football season. I've got two boys that are playing for the Friendship Tigers. I've not missed a Friendship Tiger football game this fall. I'm, awesome. I'm not going to miss one. I haven't missed a Texas Tech football game. So you, you find a way to, to do that. And um, that, that's what it looks like for, for us right now. You know, our downtime is the month of July. And uh, it used to be June and July until we started making a regular occurrence of going to Omaha every year, which is a good which, problem, to have. which is a great thing. Um, but you know, in, in, in July, it's a lot of family time and recharging the batteries. But um, this time of year, it's just making sure that I'm present as a min- at as many of my family events and get to interact and be a be a be a part of my my boy's life uh, awesome. at this point. That's awesome. Um, I, I mean, of course, you you can kind of make anything look uh, true online, but I I've always from from observing you from from a major distance, it seems like you have a genuine affection and love and and prioritization of your family, and I I think that's something you know for sure to be admired in in your role. How many uh, direct reports would you have? Like you have a large organization, but how many people like directly, you know, report into you? 
Yeah, I have nine direct reports uh, within our staff um, from an administrative um, side. And then, you know, ultimately all uh, 11 of our head, 12 of our head coaches are, are direct reports. Um, the way that we're structured, I have liaisons uh, with, um, with the majority of our sports, minus football, men's and women's basketball. And uh, those are the coaches that, you know, directly report to me. So uh, 10 staff members, 12 head coaches mm. is. Um, so what does is, what is personal development look like for them? Like when you, when you look at your responsibility to help them become, you know, the best leaders that they can, what is that? What does that development look like between you and them? And how do you approach that? Yeah, so I, I would probably say for the sake of this answer, I'm going to keep the administrative staff and the coachings staff in, in different boxes per mm-hmm. se. So as, as my administrative staff, those that report to me, those are individuals that are overseeing sports medicine, um, external operations, compliance, academic support, uh, et cetera. It's, it's individualized, right? Everybody is at a different point in their career. Everybody has different career aspirations, um, which means I, I better have uh, individual relationship with them to to know what their their goals are. And uh, so I think it's individualized there to, to help them grow. And, and, you know, annually we talk about personally and professionally what are our goals over the next 12 to 16 months. Uh, we keep those in front of us. Um, you know, as an athletic department leadership team, we meet each and every week. But individually I meet with everybody every three weeks. Mm-hmm. And during those you know, meetings every three weeks, we keep goals in front of us. What are your personal goals? How are your professional goals? How are we progressing in each of these areas? What, what are we def- deficient in? How can I help you, you know, continue to move, move forward um, in these initiatives? So I think it's individual. Yeah, that's good. What, what's the most, uh, you know, challenging, challenging part of leadership in your mind? Um, I want to know the most challenging, you know, the challenging things in your mind, but I also want to talk about the most rewarding aspects of leadership. Yeah, you know, the most um, challenging parts of leadership, I think, are just when, when, you, um, when you hit a speed bump or when you're, you're going through a, a point of challenge and, and how do you work together to overcome that. And, you know, a lot of times in, in athletics, again, I would say nothing's ever perfect, but nothing's ever going to be perfect. And, and I think it's accepting that. And I go back to my time as the athletic director at the University of Miami, and, um, you know, there were some things that we were, we were dealing with at that time. And Donna Shalala said something to me that, um, you know, has stuck with me all these years. She said, Kirby, our job in administration is to address the problems. There are always going to be issues. We work with people. People are imperfect. People are going to make mistakes. So we've got to come in to work each and every day, knowing that the day's not going to go as you plan. There are going to be issues. There are going to be challenges. And, and we've just got to address them. And you can't walk past any issue, no matter how small that particular thing may be. Because if you don't address it today, it's just going to continue to roll downhill. The little, pe- the little pebble is going to become a boulder. Um, but expect it and and that the fact that there are issues and challenges is not a sign that we are ineffective in our jobs or or administrators it's part of our jobs and that's what we do so I think that the challenging part is just when you face adversity when you face challenges um, as a team or with something that somebody's dealing with how do you how do you continue to work together to to move the ball forward yeah, that's good. What, what are some of the most rewarding aspects of, of your work? 
Success, right? Watching, uh, watching young people celebrate is the most satisfying uh, part of my work. Being in that locker room uh, this past Saturday afternoon in Morgantown, West Virginia, and watching those young men celebrate that win because uh, I know how hard they've worked. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have such clear pictures in my, um, my, my mind of watching us qualify for Omaha and watching the dog pile at Danlaw Field. I, I remember the celebration in the locker room last year as we advanced all the way to the national championship game. So the best part of my job is being able to stand back in those moments of celebration and just watch our coaches and our student athletes celebrate with each other because I know how hard they have worked to put themselves in that position. Yeah, that's really good. Um, I'm I'm curious, like, uh, you know, college sports seems to just continue to ramp up in terms of competitiveness, right? You know, the arms race for facilities and fundraising and, you know, you know, gathering the, you know, the greatest talent from a coaching standpoint. So how do you, how do you view, you know, the competitive landscape, um, you know, as everything seems to continue to move so fast and, it, you know, the bigger, the better, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like, how do you view competitiveness and in, in that whole competitive landscape within college athletics? Well, you're exactly right. It uh, continues to, to feel like it just it strengthens and the, 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 the difference between different programs is becoming smaller and smaller. And it, it's so challenging uh, to win in competition. Um, so you, you look for those incremental advantages as an administrator, as a leader. What can we do at Texas Tech to provide an incremental advantage for my coaches or for my student athletes to have that edge in, in competition? And I think you, you, you look at the landscape of television and the revenue that comes from television, it's really leveled the playing field um, significantly when, when you talk about the, the revenue that we enjoy from TV, how we've been able to invest that into our athletics department, into our programs. Well, you know what? Every other team in Power Five out there is, is having that same type of investment. So I think you have to look at uh, the revenue from television that has really leveled the landscape nationally, and I, I think we'll continue to, to do so. And that's why, you know, the pressure continues to build to, to be successful. And it gets back to, you know, some of the things we were talking about earlier is just we've got to make sure that we're in alignment with our core values, our goals, our missions, so that we keep it between the boundaries and we don't let things veer off uh, into a, a place that they're not supposed to be. Yeah, that's great. I'm sure you learn a lot from your entire staff, your entire organization, all your coaches, but certainly one that you know has gotten a lot of attention over the last se- several years because of the impact and success as Coach Beard. I-, I don't know Coach Beard personally. I've been around him just a couple of times, and and I mean he's just intense. I mean you know the the moment you meet him, you, you can just you know you can almost just sense and feel that he that he wants to win, and uh, you know certainly appears to put in the effort to do that. What are some of the things that maybe you've learned from from him um, in watching him over the last several years that you know uh, that are, that are take leadership takeaways even for your own leadership? Yeah, I, I think two things uh, come to mind immediately, Kate, and things that uh, obviously Chris Beard is is all about. One is is his drive, his drive for excellence, his drive for success is second to to no one. I mean, he is here to win a national championship, and he's not going to back away from that and that's always been his goal from the first night we met in Las Vegas it was he wanted to know was there alignment uh, 
with me and Texas Tech if he came here not to get in the NCAA tournament every three or four years, not to compete for a conference championship ever so often. He wants to do it every year. And, you know, the fact that we made it to Monday night, the national championship game, but came up 12 seconds short last year, drives him even further. And, and, and until we win that Monday night game, he's not going to be satisfied. So one thing I think is just the drive for success and, and the relentless pursuit of that to yeah. be successful is something I think Chris uh, exemplifies. And, and the second thing I would say is just the sense of urgency. Again, it's trying to win each and every day and how important today is for the goals that we have come the first Monday night in April for the NCAA basketball tournament, that what we do on today, November the 11th, is extremely important and is going to have an impact on, on that ultimate goal. So I think the, the relentless drive for perfection and the sense of urgency are two things that Chris Beard brings every day that are important reminders for all of us. Yeah, it's awesome to hear you say that because, again, just from a casual observer from the outside, you know, not knowing him personally, you, you could just, you can hear it. I mean, whether it's his, you know, comical fireside chats or, mm -hmm. you know, media interviews or whatever. Another thing that fascinates me about his leadership is just how gracious he is. Mm -hmm. I mean, it doesn't matter, you know, if it's, uh, it doesn't matter who the competitor is. I mean, he, he's always going to be prepared and he's always going to, you know, uh, really just seem like he, he really respects him. And I think even from a leadership perspective, you know, what, regardless of what industry you're in or, or what the competitive landscape looks like, that, you know, there's some major takeaways from that. And I'm always fascinated. He's, he's always talking about elite, you know, and, and uh, his infatuation with Nick Saban, um, who's been elite for a long time. Um, so thanks for sharing that. That's, that's interesting. A couple more questions for you. Um, uh, you know, who, 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 one person or multiple people have been the biggest influence on your own leadership? I mean, even just listening to you talk the last 15 or 20 minutes, seems like you've been really fortunate to be around some remarkable people. Um, but you know, who, who, who's one, one of those people that, that really have, you feel like maybe influenced you the most? Yeah. Two, two individuals in my professional journey. One is, uh, Chuck Ninus. Chuck uh, was the executive director of the College Football Association when I interned there. But uh, prior to that, Chuck was um, the number two individual at the Big Ten Conference. He uh, then became the number two guy at the NCAA and uh, then became the commissioner of the Big Eight Conference. He was also the interim commissioner of the Big 12 Conference. But, you know, Chuck was my first boss and I just saw his passion for intercollegiate athletics and you know, Chuck always told me he never wore a watch because uh, he he was passionate about what what he did, and uh, he was gonna. It wasn't a job to him; it was a passion, and and I shared that with him. And Chuck's been influential in every position that I've um, um, sat in uh, in my professional career. And the second is Joe Castiglione. When I went to Oklahoma, I spent over seven years working for Joe. He really took me under his wing and. Uh, allowed me to grow, uh, allowed me to become exposed to many things within uh, intercollegiate athletics. And there's not many things I do today professionally that I don't pick up the phone and call Joe and just say, hey, help me think through this. Uh, am I thinking about everything I need to at this point in time? And uh, just two great friends and, and mentors for me. That's awesome. Well, um, if you could, last question for you, if you could look back 10, 15, 20 years ago, what advice would you give a you know a young a young Kirby going into his you know first athletic director job or whatever when you think it, if you knew if you knew then what you know now what would you tell your younger self? 
Yeah, that's a, a really interesting question, thought-provoking. I, um, you know, I, I think uh, I would tell myself that there there are no quick fixes that uh you know to to attain success greatness it's a step-by-step process uh you go about something bit by bit success isn't going to come overnight and and i think you know as a football student athlete uh you want to win that game and so, you know, if you don't win a game, you get another opportunity seven days later to, to win that. Well, it doesn't exactly work like that within the administration of a large department. So I think I would want to tell myself to, to understand there are no quick fixes and uh, to enjoy the, the journey. And, and um, you know, the other thing I, I might tell myself is just to, to I've learned this, but um, is that in the pursuit of excellence or success comes scrutiny, comes criticism. And, and that's natural, especially in the world, Kay, that you're awfully familiar with in, in the social media uh, world that we live in today. Um, there can be a lot of noise. There can be a lot of criticism. There can be a lot of second guessing. But again, um, if you're going to be excellent, you, you've got to state that and you've got to believe it. Just like you mentioned with Coach Beard, he talks about being elite. We want to be elite, but it doesn't come overnight. And, and people can be can criticize the use of that word, but if I don't believe it as the athletic director and I don't verbalize that, then I can tell you our, our department's not going to believe that. So, you know, I think just to, to know that criticism is going to be natural as you sit in these leadership chairs and it's not personal. It's, it's uh, people just, uh, you know, wanting the same goal as you, but sometimes being critical about it. Is it hard? I, I, I guess I lied. I guess I have another question. Is it hard? I mean, if you view if you view it that way, that it is a process. I mean, that makes sense, right? Most of life is a process, whether it's physical health, emotional health, you know, relationships. It's all a process. But living in a society that doesn't much care for processes, right? And it, and, and it isn't a quick fix. It's not an overnight success, but that's kind of what people expect. How do you keep yourself grounded so that the sense of other people's urgency doesn't doesn't overwhelm you or your team or your organization. I think you've got to have um, you've got to be goal oriented and um, again have a plan. You got to have a game plan for mm-hmm. where you want to go. And you know I tell our team a lot, our, our leadership team, progress over perfection because likely we're never going to attain perfection. Mm-hmm. Um, you know we're not going to go thirty two and zero. In basketball, we're, we're not going to go um, 14 and 0 in football. More than likely, there's going to be a loss in there, but it's it's progress over perfection. And I think you got to you got to have a goal, and uh, you got to have a game plan and goals built in that allow you to continue to see that prog- progress being made. That's good. That's good. Well, I really appreciate your time today. Thanks again for joining us. I feel like Lubbock and West Texas and all of all of uh, you know the Texas Tech family is really lucky to have you. And we're we're glad for your leadership and uh, just really appreciate the way that you approach it and the impact you've you've not just made on athletics but really our entire community. Um, and so, thank you. Thanks, uh, thanks for for being such a great leader and being a model for all of us. Really appreciate it. Well, you're very kind, and uh, it's, Lubbock, Texas, is a great place to live and to work. And uh, appreciate all you do for the community as well. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.